sometimes, you know, there's more that is caught than that is taught. And then sometimes you may not even feel or know what God is doing inside of you, but I just believe he's moving. He's speaking. He's, he's bringing life and healing into different places inside of us. So, Father, we just say yes. Abba, we say yes to you. We just say yes to whatever you're doing in the room. We know that you are moving. You are doing things. We thank you, God, that you are the one who comes and removes the broken places. You remove the faulty thinking, the the lies, the places where lies have taken root, and you uproot those with your word, with your truth. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you for this time tonight, this, this place. We thank you, God, for answered promises. Even as we sang, hello, promised land, what we've believed in is what we, what we see. And we know that even, even as simple as a place, like this, this space that we're in right now, it is part of your promise. It's part of your fulfilled promise to us. And it's just the first fruits. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you're giving us a house, a house of worship, a house of healing, a house of life and training and strengthening and equipping and releasing. That you are establishing a house with an apostolic and prophetic foundation. Thank you, Lord, that this house is a house where your presence is honored above all things. We welcome you, God. We thank you for your spirit being here tonight. We worship you. Just take a, a minute and and just thank him for whatever it is that he has has been doing in your heart or in your mind or in your life. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for strength, for supernatural strength. This is your worship. Just give him thanks. Thank you, Lord, for life, for healing in our bodies. Thank you for protecting us, Lord, for not allowing the pandemic to take any one of our lives, whether we've been exposed or not or vaccinated or not or have already had the, 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 ickness, the sickness, the ickiness. Whatever, whatever has come through, God, we thank you that we are sustained by your hand. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for provision. I thank you for provision for the vision of this place, God. Thank you for providing. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Thank you, God. You're worthy of our worship, Lord. You're worthy of, of all of our adoration, our thanksgiving, our praise. You deserve it all, Lord. Help us, God, to see what you are doing more and more clearly so that we can give you the honor that is due your name. Romans chapter 8 says, You did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, 
For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, or Abba Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for whispering that into our inner being, that we are your beloved children. And since we are your true, his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. Thank you, Lord. Give us grace to step into all that that means. I felt during worship, um, he was saying all he wants is our devotion. And everything will flow out of our devotion to him. And as I was writing that down, I came across a note that I wrote probably a year ago. Um, How can you fail when God predetermines your glory? How can you fail when God predetermines your glory? We just need to give up more devotion. Tammy's got a word. She's going to preach. You guys doing okay? I feel like everyone's so far away. Can we scoot up a row if you want? We're saving those seats. We're prophesying that these seats are reserved for those that are coming. (laughs) Before we move forward into, you know, I kind of started out saying that I felt like it would be a risk that I felt God was drawing me into diving into the subject of being chosen because it can feel kind of weird sometimes as a believer to say, wow, God chose me, which means that means that there's people that aren't chosen. So why me, God? Why am I special? Is there something, you know? So it's it's a touchy subject, but I, I feel like there's some freedom in it if we go into the scriptures and just take a look but before we go deep into it um, you know I mentioned that we are just really we feel strong as a church that God has has given us a burden to see people step into their full identity in Christ I mean really what what it looks like to us is as talking earlier with you Lauren uh, we want to see a church that raises up trains up this army I mean it's a family but it's like a it's a a family that's on a mission uh, like a militant mission in a sense not like we're going to go do violence to anybody we the violence that we want to do is against the forces of darkness we want to go and make war in the heavenlies we don't want it just to be uh, a once a week thing that we do here but we want to raise up an army of warriors an army of brothers and sisters in a house that know who they are, that are growing in their authority, growing in 
in their anointing, growing in their power that they, that they carry. You know, those are things that God gives us a measure of, and you get to grow it. You get to grow in authority, and as you grow in your authority and mature in Christ, he will entrust you with more, more power, more of his anointing to see the works of the enemy destroyed. And that's really what it comes down to. And so I guess another way of looking at it, not just a, an army doing war in the spirit realm, but a, a people that would be called the, the house of Legacy City Church, a people that are, that are activated in hearing the voice of God, that know how to prophesy, that know how to release the spirit for healing or for bringing an encounter to somebody. You know, I've heard people say, we owe the world an encounter with God. I've had an encounter with God. He rescued me. He saved me in my living room. I came to know him in a very real, powerful way. I received Jesus and life came into me. Now I owe the world an encounter with the same God that I had an encounter with. Like, I can't keep it to myself. It's not a secret. I joke about, you know, he, doesn't, he wants us to come out of the closet. <laughs> he, he doesn't want you to be a closet Christian. He wants you to come out of hiding. They teach it to little kids. Well, they used to years ago. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to bushel and go to put it out. You know, nothing's going to blow it out. You're going to let your light shine. And that's part, ah, and I'm not going to sing it. Maybe we'll close and sing it together. <laughs> yeah. It's not, not hard to forget, especially the, going to blow it out. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's what we want. We don't want to just bore people meeting every Sunday and listening to me or Tammy or one other person. We really want to have a house where there are many leaders, like we're one team that are, that are many leaders. We're all called to leadership. You are all called to the ministry. I've said this before, you know, you, the, the day you got saved, you were called into leadership. Whether that means leading yourself. Did you know you can lead yourself? Or you could not lead yourself. You could just let your flesh lead you, or you could let your spirit person lead you. One of these days I'm going to do that, a teaching on that diagram of the temple. You know, the, the body, your body the Bible says, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, or that was Paul that said that in Ephesians. Ephesians? No, in uh, 1 Corinthians. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and that, that word temple, the Hebrew temple, the same temple that Jesus met at with the, the, the disciples and the same temple he stood at and unrolled the, the teachings of the, the scroll and read it publicly, the same temple where the priests would, would slaughter the innocent lambs every Passover and sprinkle the blood on the, go into the most holy place, that same temple, Paul says that you are that temple. And that temple, I know I'm kind of diverting here into a little side message, but that temple was broken up into three parts. It had the most holy place, which is like the middle, the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and that is the place where the Spirit of God dwelt. That is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept behind a three-foot-thick curtain that was made out of twisted, like, ropes of scarlet-soaked 
uh, it's just a curtain made out of this twisted yarn, I guess it would be. And it had golden angel figures that were crafted by the craftsmen, woven into the material. It's probably really amazing to see, but no one could go through that three-foot thick curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was at. And if you know what the Ark of the Covenant is, that is that gold box that nobody was allowed to touch. It had inside of it the, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, plus a jar of the original manna that God fed the Israelites with, a staff that Aaron carried that had actually budded. It, like, buds grew on it, and it, it stayed that way. So they kept those things in the Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of the, of the Ark was this, the lid on the box that had these golden angels that had wings that were pointing to each other. And they called the top of that box where the angels were, were hovering over the mercy seat. That was the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest, a chosen high priest, would go <clears throat> through the curtain, through the veil, with the blood of a lamb to make atonement for himself and for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. They would tie a rope to his foot. They put little bells around the bottom of his robe because if he did anything wrong, the presence of God could kill him. And if they stopped hearing the tinkling of the bells, they could pull him out with a rope. But he would take the blood of the, the freshly slain innocent lamb and with the incense smoke, the, the censer of incense, he would make a cloud of incense. And you can imagine the fear and the trembling on the man's life as he went into the most holy place where the Shekinah glory, the, the power and weight of God's presence manifested there. He would go in with that, the smoke of that incense and he would, he would reach his finger dipped in blood probably shaking. I mean, I can almost see it through this, that cloud of smoke and just touching the top of the mercy seat to make atonement, to make a covering for the sins of the nation and for his own sins. It's pretty, a pretty amazing and wild historical action that would happen every year during Passover. That was in the very center of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And then the outer place around it was called the most, uh, the holy place. You had the holy place, which is like the church. And then where God's presence was, was the Holy of Holies. And then outside of the building were the outer courts. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have outer courts. You have your flesh. You have your holy place. You can stick your hand on it and say, God, make this place holy between my ears. And you have the most holy place, your innermost being, your spirit, where the spirit of God has come to live inside of you. And God wants to lead us. He wants us to fellowship with him and listen to his voice and be, follow, be following and led by the spirit, not by the flesh. I have no idea why we even went down that rabbit trail. Had something to do with meeting with him. Something to do with getting with him. Oh, leading yourself. That's okay. So we're, we're not going to get into the whole chosen thing, I don't think, tonight. Maybe we'll read one verse or something. Just Back to identity. It's a big one because so many times I've seen, if we don't know who we are, and I, often people get their identity from what they do or what ministry they have or whatever. And so many times I've seen when that ministry or job or whatever goes away, those people are lost. They don't know what to do because that's where they got their identity. They didn't get their identity from Christ. And 
we're always going to have seasons in our life where um, we're not in ministry necessarily. Um, we're raising a family or we're, you know, starting a business or whatever it is. Um, I even heard someone this last year who, you know, when things got shut down, they didn't know what to do. They had a hard time because their identities got, I believe, got wrapped up in what they did and losing sight of this is my identity. I'm a, I'm first a daughter or a son and everything flows out of that and that affects our relationships. It affects how we see our father. Um, if we don't get our identity right, it's so, so important. And it's obviously we see that in our world today is, you know, people don't know who they are. Yeah, you know, when parents, their children grow up and move out, they become empty nesters. Wow, now what do we do? Where, where's my identity? What did you say? I don't know how to talk to myself anymore. Because <laughs> I'm so used to, mom, what? Yes. <laughs> I just tease him. And that's so true as a mom. I can say your identity can get wrapped up in your kids and what you do. And you have to stop and be like, okay. It's first me and Jesus and me and my spouse and not, and then my children, not, you know, my children always. So. Yeah. I mean, what, what am I going to do when God strikes her dead? And <laughs> I'm like, is my identity wrapped up in just being a husband? <laughs> it's just a joke. I'll be the one that he'll strike. I'm pretty sure of it. <clears throat> pretty sure. Um, anyway, so I think you guys get the point. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I mean, that song says it all. You have chosen me. Yeah, you, I can't think of the words now, but it's just so important that we understand that when it all comes down to who we are, I belong to the Father. Jesus is my king, and he calls himself my big brother, which is amazing. Hebrews chapter 2, if you've never seen it, He's not ashamed to call us brother and sister. He's my God and my king, and I will forever worship him and bow down at his feet and give him glory. But he says that he's not ashamed to call you sister and brother. It's wild. And he, has, and he says, here I am, and the children God has given me. He presents us to the Father. He says, I am going to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. It's wild, but that is what he did. He reconciled us to the Father. He brought us into his family. He wanted us to take hold of that identity, and that is who we are. And you know, when you know who you are and who you belong to, it will affect how you behave. If you believe that you're just a sinner saved by grace, you're going to sin by faith. You're going to have faith in what you believe about yourself. If you think you're a loser, you're going to have faith that you're a loser. If you think that you're bad at everything, that's where your faith is at. But it's when we change our beliefs. You know, we don't, we don't get transformation by trying harder. We get transformation by changing our beliefs. We have, that's why the scripture says in Romans 12 that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Yeah, I was just going to say then, you know, as we're getting revelation and learning this stuff, then you get to turn around. We all get to turn around and prophesy that into other people 
out in the workplace or wherever your sphere is, you know, if you hear are hearing someone saying, oh, I can't do anything. No, you can. You, and you just speak into that. And you show them, you can show people what their identity is. That's part of our job, is we learn what our identity is and we turn around and we help other people learn what their identity is. Yeah, and then when, once you know who you are, not only are you a son or a daughter of God, but you're also a minister of the gospel. You are a part of the priesthood. I've heard so many times over the years, believers will tell me that I, maybe they're not in my church, but they, they let me know they're Christians, and they say, you know, I wish the pastor would have shown up to the hospital and prayed for this person. I wish the pastor would do this or that. Well, that is such a, an un, unhealthy, broken way of thinking because the one pastor of the church behind the pulpit can't do all of the work of the ministry. That's why pastors burn out and they fizzle out and they retire. They can't do it. They just, some, sometimes it almost kills people. But I, I love to be able to tell people that you are a priest, that God says you are a minister, that you are a part of the priesthood of all believers, and you can go into that hospital room and pray. You can release the prayer of faith for people's healing or, or pray for their encouragement. It doesn't have to be just the pastor. <clears throat> so speaking of leaders, so you're all called into leadership, beginning with leading yourself. We had a little fun talk about that. You know, we're learning to lead ourselves leading ourselves into intimacy with God. Um, and that is, a, that is a leadership skill that can, it can get weak and it can get strong. Sometimes you could be in a real strong season of leading yourself to the Lord in a time of, of worship and time of reading the word. And sometimes you can get weak in that area because stuff comes in life. You may have had a tragedy in the middle of the night. Someone, you know, backs into their shed and tears it down. I don't know. Things happen. Stuff, <laughs> stuff happens. You know, someone might pass away or something, and, and you don't sleep. And then you don't get up early to meet with the Lord, and then you go a whole day without even having time in the Word or, or praying or talking to Him. And then the next day it happens again, and all of a sudden you're out of your habit. And you're just, like, feeling guilty all of a sudden. But I want to tell you that that guilt, that feeling is, is not from God. He does not put you on a performance scale, but he does want you to want to spend time with him. And he is such a good father. He will draw you back. The Bible says he draws us with his cords of love. He's got these ropes, these cords of love that draws us to himself. That's, that's sweet. It's not, he doesn't come to you with a whip and say, get back into that word and read the Bible, you sinner. No, that's the devil. The devil wants you to feel so guilty and condemned that you don't even want to go to God because you don't find comfort there. But God is drawing you. He wants to bring you in. So he wants you to lead yourself. And once you're leading yourself, he wants you to lead your spouse and your children. Now, I say lead your spouse. Spouses, husbands and wives, lead each other. If I'm weak, she can lead me and be strong in my weakness. If she's weak, I can be strong in her weakness. We can lead together. We're called to be, a couple, married couples are called to be one, a single unit. Um, but, and then together we are called to lead our family. And, at, and then from there, I'm called to lead in my workplace. Doesn't mean I'm gonna be the supervisor or the director, but I'm, I'm to be a leader. 
of the things of God. I'm, I'm to be the, the point of the arrow in my workplace of, for all things of the Spirit. So when I see something happening in a coworker's life, I get to be the one who says, God, what do I get to do to help bring your light and your truth into this person's life? And it might just be a simple walking up to them and saying, hey, man, hey, man, what's up, fellow mailman? Is there, uh, is there something I can do to pray for you? Is there anything that you could use prayer for? I don't have to do it right here, but I'm just saying, you know, I'd be happy to be in prayer. Just that kind of thing. And you'd be amazed at how the doors open up. So we're called to lead ourselves. We're called to lead in our, our families, our workplace, whatever, as Tammy used that word earlier, sphere is. Um, we will probably down the road be talking a little bit more about this whole thing that's called the seven mountain <coughs> theology. And basically, um, there's a, a large portion of the church, and including our stream, that sees these seven spheres of influence in our culture. And we are all partakers in one of those seven spheres. And I always get them wrong. I usually miss one. But one of them is, you know, the sphere or the, the mountain of religion or Christianity, church. So you might be called to full-time ministry. Um, another one of the mountains would be education. You might be called to work in the education mountain. And guess what? That is your sphere, that is your mountain, and you get to take the influence of heaven into your mountain. Your mountain could be arts and entertainment. It could be finances. It could be government. I would love if that was my call in life because I love political stuff, and I love. I think it would be cool to be involved in government, but we need to pray for the Christians that are in those mountains that they will be strong influencers. So, yeah, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession <clears throat> that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We opened with that. I wanted to go back to it. And we'll just take a few minutes and go in. Do you guys feel comfortable with this whole thing about chosen? What does the Bible mean by chosen? Who has never thought about it? You've never? Oh, sure. To respond to it? Well, he does. Right. Yeah, it, it's a complicated subject, and a lot of people don't even want to go into it because, well, they say, well, is there free will or no free will? Does God pre-plan everything? And, you know, if you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved. And if people are, are going to be lost, you know, is it all just like a like a computer program that's predetermined how it's going to pan out? But I believe that there is a lot of cooperation on our part, but God is the initiator. So the wordage in the Bible isn't there that says that God has chosen everyone. Rather, the word chosen <clears throat> is used for those that have come to him. It's kind of like you respond to the gospel and you, and you die someday and you step into that banquet hall of heaven 
and it says, you know, you, cho you chose to give your life to Jesus, right? You, you made the choice, and then you go in and sit at the table, and there's a card that says your name, and it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. It's like God, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, can see the beginning to the end. He, he can see everything. He is in time and outside of time. And he knows exactly what's going to happen. That's my way of wrapping my brain around it. He knows who's going to respond to him. But let's just take a look at some scriptures. Let's look at a couple verses. We don't need to go real deep into it. Let's go. It's 7.30. How many minutes should we go into it? Ten? Five? She's like, eight? Seven, 7.40? Okay, it's 7.33 right now. So we'll go to 7.41. <clears throat> I can just not talk too much and read the verses and we'll get through all of it. So let's, let's see what happens here. Okay, this is Ephesians chapter 1. So tough just to focus on one part. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. <clears throat> One thing to highlight says that in Christ we have been blessed. He has, excuse me, the Father, blessed be the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is part of why we call, we took hold of the name Legacy City Church because the word legacy, it's kind of a synonym for inheritance. And we know that in Christ we have a legacy, we have an inheritance that God has blessed us with. We've talked about that a bit, I think, last week or the week before. You know, when the person dies, Jesus died on the cross. When they die, the will is put into effect. The will does not get put into effect until there has been a death. And when Jesus died, the will was put into effect. And now we have access to the will that was determined by God through the, the sacred blood of Jesus being shed for us. And we have access now. We have permission to access all of the spiritual blessings in Christ that are stored up in the heavenly places. But Ephesians 1, he tells us, he chose us. He chose us. If you're an adopted child, did you choose your adopted parents or did the adopting parents choose you? Pretty much you get picked. The parents are like, I'm adopting that little guy. I'm adopting that little girl. When, when a, a, a prospective male pursues a young lady... Does he choose his bride? Or does she choose her husband? Who proposes to who? <laughs> I know. I know these days it's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> progressive. <laughs> I don't know if Tammy would have would have pursued me and I just played, you know, oh, I'm just like bashful and flirty, but yeah, I don't think she liked me at first, actually. She's kind of, like, not really into me. <clears throat> but she knew there was a, a hint of pursuit that I was starting to, to put off, and <clears throat> she started responding to it. 
even though she had a boyfriend. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I worked my magic. The, the thought is, the thought is, do we choose God or does he choose us? I would say he chooses us. Let's take a look further in here in Ephesians 1. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I think this is verse 11 of chapter 1. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Paul wrote these really long sentences, but chew through it. There's so much meat on the bone there, and it's just good stuff. Again, so the words, I highlighted them, chosen, predestined, chosen, predestined. It doesn't say that when you chose God, you know, when you set out your destiny to pursue God. You know, actually, Romans chapter 3, I believe, says, there is no one who seeks God. There are none, none who run after him. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. So, in reality, he is the pursuer. He is the one who chooses us. And his voice is calling out. I, you, we don't know who he's speaking to. If you would have known me when I got saved, you would have said, devil dude? Like, going around, listening to your black metal music, cranking it up, upside down cross, dangling from your mirror on your car. And, you know, I mean, long hair isn't like an evil thing. But, I, you know, had the, had the long hair and the leather jacket and all this, the patches and stuff all over. I wanted to be a black metal warrior. And so I wore the armor. I wanted to feel strong so I hid myself in that I wrapped myself up in that and I hated Christianity I thought Christians were stupid and there's no way I was going to give up all the fun in this world for Jesus well guess what guess who had a plan guess who chose me before the foundation of the world he knows how to corner you he knows how to get you in that place where he with one word will shatter the rock-hard heart inside of you. And when he shatters that rock-hard heart with one word, he takes a new heart, a heart of flesh, and places it inside of you. He gives you a new heart and a new spirit. He softens up that hardness. <clears throat> this is So I was doing some, some just self-feeding this week, and uh, <clears throat> some really good wisdom came out of some teachings that I listened to. Don't blow those out either. Cap it. Just cap it or you're going to have smoke. Sorry. Um, We just want it to smell good like at home. um, So, yeah, you could move. You could move away. Um, So the the reality is we don't know who he's been pursuing. And the, the the truth is many people resist. Many people don't want to come to God. They, and their hearts get harder and harder. But this is what the Bible says. Jesus said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, 
and I will raise them up the last day. There it is right there. So what is your part to play? Your part to play is to serve and to love people and to share the gospel. Share, share the good news. Share what Jesus has done for you. Offer to pray for people. You might get rejected. You might get, you know, looked at funny like you're weird, you know, weird Christian or whatever. And, you know, whatever. I don't know how people react to you when they find out, but. But when you spend time with the Father, when you're spending time with the Lord, the Holy Spirit is filling your heart with the fruit of the Spirit, which the key fruit is love. Love, joy, peace, patience. You know, when you're moving in love, you will want to love people who hate you. You may not love them immediately. You might be like, you hate me, you jerk. Let me punch you. No, <laughs> no but... God has a way of getting you into a, a, a spot where he'll convict you. He won't shame you and condemn you, but he will convict your spirit and remind you, the way I loved you when you were a jerk, when you were my enemy, that's how I want you to love that person. And don't be afraid of all of their upside-down crosses and pentagrams and stuff that they're wearing because just as you were wearing that stuff, I was able to reach into your heart so I can reach their hearts too. Love on them. You know, Bill Johnson said not too long ago, real recent actually, um, people who feel like they don't hear the voice of God, like, I can't hear God. He said, well, you can't be saved then. If you haven't heard God, then how can you be saved? Because the only way you can be saved is if you hear God calling you, not audibly, but he, his voice went out to you and you responded to him. His point was that in order for you to come to Christ, you have to have the Father draw you. And his voice isn't necessarily English. It's not necessarily words. It's that drawing. That is his, his way of speaking to you, leading, pulling. Does that make a little more sense? Exactly. Well, that was Bill's point, is that people say, I don't know how to hear, I don't hear God's voice. And he's like, well, of course you do, but you just don't realize. He used that example of, well, then you can't be saved. He's not saying that you're not saved. He's just saying, if you're saved, you heard his voice. You just don't recognize it. That's the point. But anyway, I, I think we're, we're lining up on the same page. It just doesn't, semantics, there you go. So John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Let's look at a little bit more and then we'll wrap it up because we're just a little over that eight minute mark. Romans 8, 29 through 30. <clears throat> if anything, we're going to get some scriptures read tonight because that's what you do in church, right? Read the Bible. All right. Amen, sister. All right. She's holding me accountable. She wants the word of God preached and she insists on it or she's going to go to the church down the street. What is that? A wad of money? <laughs> okay. You know, some churches, they throw money at the preacher. They start throwing coins and stuff. And they start shouting, hallelujah, amen. Anyway, don't ever do that. I would be really embarrassed and distracted. Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
that is God's purpose and plan for your life, to conform you to the image of Jesus. So start growing a beard, ladies. Not just, just kidding. <clears throat> Not the actual physical image. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So that kind of is the, the string of the way God works for kind of what you were talking about. He knows those who, he's, who are his already before they become his. So he's predestined them. He's called them. And when you've been called by him and you respond, he justifies you. Justifies just means just as if I never sinned. So you have been justified through the blood of Christ. Your sins have been wiped out. Now you are justified he looks at you as spotless, sinless, made holy through the blood of Christ. And he's also going to glorify you. So we won't read the stuff I have from uh, Romans chapter 9 because that will really get sticky. But I would encourage you guys, if you've never read through the whole book of Romans actually, but especially Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, it's really interesting because it talks a lot about how God shows mercy on whom he wants to show mercy. He gives grace to those he wants to give grace to. And you could read these scriptures and think, God sounds kind of mean in those verses. But if you have, you have to go back and look at his nature, that God is patient with us. He's long-suffering. And as you said, he wants everyone to come to repentance and to come to salvation. He wants no one to perish, but all to be saved. That is his highest will. But the reality is not everyone will receive him. Not everyone will respond. So it is his will. It is his heart that people will come to him. But the reality is not everybody will. So when we look at that and contrast that with God electing us and choosing and predestining, we have to try to fit that in with the character and nature of God. He's not, you know, when you look at it in reality, we all deserve separation from God. Hell was designed for the devil and his angels, the, the demons that rebelled against God. Hell was created for them. It wasn't made for us. But Adam and his wife, when they sinned in the garden, we were there inside of Adam. We were the seed within the seed within the seed. Our physical genealogy goes all the way back to the garden. We were in Adam when he died, when, his, when he died spiritually, when he sinned. And we have inherited that fallen sinful nature from our first father, Adam. But Jesus Christ came as the second Adam. And when we unite ourselves into his death on the cross and in his burial through a baptism, water baptism represents being buried with Christ, and we are united with him and in his resurrection, we are now no longer in Adam. We, we are in the second Adam. We are in Christ. And everything that he has accomplished, everything that, that he has um, been perfect at, we are now in him. So that is the, the miracle of salvation, is that we get transferred from the old Adam into the new. The old Adam was the one who brought sin and death and judgment. The new Adam brings life and holiness and freedom. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. You guys ready?
Emily's like, you're just going to go and go and go. I was not always like this. I was the shy person in the room who, if you put a microphone in front of them, would start sweating and mouth would go dry. Get over here, Oscar. We'll close in prayer, and then if we're not, that doesn't mean we're booting everyone out the door, so we'll put music on, and if you want some prayer, if you want to chat about stuff, this, we could even talk about some stuff, where we're going as a church, what, what makes us tick, you know, what do we see in the future, and we could do that later too, but there's plenty of time tonight, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord. God, we just thank you. We thank you that your word brings a holy tension into the room that your word is so strong and powerful. It is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it cuts and it penetrates and it, and it divides things that are spirit and things that are soul, things that are carnal and things that are of the kingdom. And we just thank you for the power of your word. It is powerful. And we just ask you, God, to, to allow your word to go into us and separate in us and bring Bring the life that your word has intended for us to receive. Your word is a light to our path. It is life-giving. The unfolding of your word brings light to our eyes. And we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of living in this day and age where we have access to the written word of God. We also thank you for the, the rhema word spoken by your spirit to each one of us individually. I thank you, God, that you are speaking to every one of the hearts in this room, that you have, you have called, you have chosen, you have predestined these precious ones in this room to be your sons and daughters that would know you, that would walk in intimacy with you, that would know your voice and, and know how to follow you and obey your word. So we thank you for your spoken word. We thank you for your written word. And we just consecrate ourselves again tonight unto you. We just say, here we are, we are yours, we are your children, and we just say, have your way in us, lead us, direct our steps, and help us to see Jesus get the reward of his suffering by going into the earth, by going into our sphere, and bringing your hope into every place, in Jesus' name, amen.